said that uh, the um, theologian Karl Barth was greeting worshippers after preaching um, when one said to them, well, thanks for your sermon, Herr Professor, you know, I am an astronomer, and I think the whole of Christianity can be summed up by the saying, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And Bart replied, how interesting. You know, I'm, I'm just a humble theologian. But I think the whole of astronomy can be summed up in the saying, twinkle, twinkle, little star. How I wonder what you are. It's not just the odd stargazer who wants to shrink what it means to follow the way of Jesus. Shrink it so that God sort of gets squeezed out. Walter Kleiber, who was, until he retired, the United Methodist Bishop of Europe and Asia. That, that's a good diocese, isn't it? If you're going to have bishops, give them some responsibility. Yeah? Not just Chelmsford. Now, I heard him once say that he'd been to a meeting of other United Methodist bishops, presumably the Bishop of the Americas and Antarctica, and when he came away, he had realized that there were three, not two, three great Methodist commandments. Be nice. Be nice. Be nice. Now, look, there's nothing wrong with being nice. And if, if we understand that being nice may just be a, a modern way of saying that we should love our neighbor as ourselves. Then, as we heard in this morning's reading, as we heard in those very helpful and moving prayers, and as we heard in that four and a half minute video clip about Christians Against Poverty, loving our neighbor is, according to Jesus, one peg on which the law and the prophets, that, you know, the whole of God's teaching to us, that's one great peg on which it all hangs. Actually, you heard what he said in the reading. The first and the great peg is not to love our neighbor, and it's like over-translation, I think, in the version we heard, it's not equally important. It's like the first commandment. And that first commandment is, you must love the Lord your God 
with all your heart and your soul and your mind. That's the first and the great commandment to which the second is like. And, of course, the Pharisees hearing this would immediately have understood. Jesus is quoting. He's quoting from the book of Deuteronomy, the sixth chapter, the fourth verse. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one Lord, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul and your strength. Forget the minor differences here between the version Jesus quotes and the version in Deuteronomy. Both versions speak of our loving God with everything we have and everything we are. All of it. All our being. Loving God with our feelings, our wills, our longings, our minds, with every breath we have. Every deed. Loving God with total, utter devotion. As I was cycling here this morning from C. Mills, I saw an amazing illustration. Something that points a little towards this devotion to God, our Father. I was cycling very slowly up Great Brockenridge. You know Great Brockenridge, you will understand why I was going up slowly, without electrical assistance, of course. And there was a pedestrian just to my left, and he was beating me. A gentleman, I guess in his late 30s. And at the top of the hill was a little group of people. And there were two boys, perhaps one nine, one seven. And when they saw him, they ran down the hill, crying out, Daddy, Daddy, Daddy. Just totally lost in love and devotion to their father. Not caring who heard. In four years, they'll, be, they'll have learnt postmodern irony or just teenage grunting. But at this point... They had this astonishing affection they felt for this man. And what a tribute to that man, a man who I don't know who he is, their love was. To run down the hill, just crying out to him like that. <laughs> Loving God in this way is very hard. It's certainly never been very popular, has it? And today in our age, the idea that we should lose ourselves in utter devotion to someone many think is simply an imaginary friend is viewed with deep suspicion. How, how can such a, a total claim on our lives. How can that be, be right when, you know, we're not really sure about all this stuff. It, it seems pretty dodgy. 
if all our love has got to go to this old white, white, white bearded guy in the sky, will we have any left over to give to anybody else? And doesn't it make God seem a bit needy, a bit pathetic? Gimme, gimme your love, you know? All of it. And people read the Bible, perhaps, and say, well, what's this love all about? And they say it involves obedience. There are laws and way of life you've got to follow. And sometimes it's pretty strict. Loving God means saying no to some stuff. Really? Can I do what I want? Isn't this just all over the top? So, many people always, but perhaps especially today, if it ever enters their minds to think about loving God, recoil with horror and disgust. If this if this is what it means to follow Jesus, I think I'd rather not. And I think we, we get that in our guts, you know, in the church. It, I don't want to be misunderstood here because the second commandment is like the first. But it's sometimes rather easier, isn't it, for us to talk about the second about loving our neighbor than it is to talk about God. I don't want to be misunderstood because I don't think you can love God without loving your neighbor. I really don't. Not just me, by the way. There's a whole letter about this in the New Testament, James. But it's it's sad. There's so much misunderstanding here. If that's what we do, we, we squeeze out God and his love and just let's just focus on being nice, being kind. If we love God, then our love for neighbor doesn't suffer, it grows. Those who truly love God find that they are enabled, empowered to love much else, more deeply, more passionately, more purely than otherwise they could have. If we love God, then we are drawn into his loving life. We obey his commands and find that they are for our good. Not harsh, arbitrary laws thrust down upon us, keep us in check, but to make us truly free. Loving. Look, as for me, when I think about my half hearted attempts to walk in this way of love. I'm struck by how 
little, I've done it. So often, I, I haven't loved. But when just now and again, by God's grace, I, I, I've been overwhelmed by his love, then I've had a, a taste of the peace and joy, the wisdom, the power to love others, the neighbor, that can come when the great commandment is real in my life. Don't look at me. Don't look at your own walk with Jesus. Maybe a, a lot less stumbling than mine. But even so, look at Jesus in the Gospels. For there we see someone totally in love with God. Always trying to, to walk in God's way, in joyful obedience. John says, Jesus said once, I do as the Father commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. And did this wholehearted devotion to God, did it crowd out other loves in Jesus' life? Far from it. Again and again, the Gospels witness that Jesus' love was never narrow and restricted. Yes, John tells us once again, he had one beloved disciple. Someone who had a special place in his heart. But that did not mean that others were crowded out. No, the same Gospel tells us that Jesus loved his own, all his friends all his disciples, to the end, even when he knew that his death was drawing near. And what's more, in, in Jesus' teaching and his ministry, we see his sheer love for people. How he gave himself freely to, to heal, to feed, to instruct, to guide. But more than that, he... he he loved the world. Can we not say that, see that in, um, in, in, in the things he says? I mean, the one who declared of the flowers in the field that not even Solomon in all his glory was dressed like one of these. That's a man who looked and loved the world, saw its beauty. He saw, uh, saw God's interest in everything, even a fall of a sparrow. He rejoiced at the fruitfulness of the earth. He had room in his heart. Not, not just to, to look at, but to love the beauty of this world. And the stories he told about the kingdom, his parables... They, they tell us how much he, he loved the ordinary lives of people. A woman making bread or sweeping a room. A farmer planting crops. Even a somewhat dodgy manager cooking the books. We note Jesus' amused appreciation of the business of being human. 
you know, the lives we live, our ordinary lives. He thought they were worthy of love and interest. Love for God didn't crowd humanity out. Never happier than we sat at a table in good or bad company. Jesus didn't just love humans in the abstract. He loved real people. And actually, he loved being a human himself. So for Jesus, loving God did not stand in the way of other loves. No, it it made him more loving. But hang on, didn't he once say that what we think of sometimes as our best, truest loves can get in the way of our following God? Following Jesus. In in Luke's gospel, if anyone comes to me, does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Doesn't sound very loving. But we should think that there there are some ways that we can love other people that are not good for us or indeed for them. What we can call love can be all about our needs. It can be obsessive, even abusive. It, It can get in the way what we should really be doing with our lives. There is a word for such love that bends us away from what we really should be doing with our lives. And that word is idolatry. Idols are good, lovable things that have become so important in our lives that when we put them at the centre, we crowd out God. Loving him takes second place and then shrinks and then finally vanishes. The false love gets it all. There's nothing wrong with love of family. But if it stops us taking up the cross, that a loving God asks us to pick up, then it's an idol. There's nothing wrong with enjoying comfort or pleasure, food and drink, or I don't know, gardening, supporting Bristol City. Nothing wrong with any of that unless it becomes so important in our lives that it becomes an idol that crowds out true love. And and it's this that Jesus is warning about about when he, he warns about even the good love of family and friends 
getting in the way. Yet, once again, lest I be misunderstood, on the cross, as he's dying, he's, he's consumed by love for his mother, who's standing there weeping. And, and he tells John, the disciple, to look after her. The love of God brought him to the cross, even though his, his family didn't want him to go there. Of course they didn't. But that didn't stop him loving them. If we want to see what such idolatry can mean, writ large today, writ very large, then let us look at the leader of the Russian Orthodox Church, Metropolitan Kurulos. But it seems to me that he had made a good thing, love of one's people, love of one's country. He has made that love the great commandment. How else to explain his blessing of the boys in their war against the Ukraine? His call for the Russian army to use the most high-tech weapons possible in their crusade against the godless Ukrainians? His refusal to condemn the murder of civilians? or even to call for a ceasefire. Whenever we downgrade the love of God, and put other loves first, it is never a small thing. But before we rush to condemn Metropolitan Kurilos, might we not ponder how very hard the churches in this country, and perhaps we ourselves, found it when our country was fighting wars to really criticize. When the great crusade to export the values of liberal democracy was being pushed forward in Iraq. No, I found it very hard. Let us look at the logs in our own eyes before we start looking at specs in others. Brothers and sisters in Christ. The scriptures this morning challenge us deeply, do they not? Have we lost our first love? Have we pushed to the margins what should be at the very center of our life together? The love of our Father God. For who he is in himself. In all his beauty, his mercy, his compassion, his loveliness, 
his goodness, his creativity, his kindness, his faithfulness, his tenderness, his holiness, his fierce desire for justice. That God, who is willing all the time to return our love, indeed to offer himself up for the renewal of creation, has the love of good and lovely things, which if we love God, have a rightful place in our lives, sometimes so shifted our priorities that they, and not him, have become what is most important in our lives. Here we might remember that even love of the things of God, of worship, church life, can push him out. Let us cry out to God afresh to kindle anew in our hearts that love for him, without which we may twinkle, we may be nice people, but we cannot be the faithful people. He is able to use and bless. He renews the creation.